Hi, this is Justin Briley of the Unbelievable Radio Show and Podcast, recommending another podcast to you. Nick Peters is a deep thinker, a friend of mine, and he has an inspiring faith. So you should listen to him and his excellent guests on the Deeper Waters Show. So keep going deeper and keep getting uh, wetter, I guess. Blessings, Nick. Keep up the good work. You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today, we're talking about marriage, again. Now, why is it that I keep doing shows about marriage on an apologetics podcast? Because if we're going to win the war on marriage, I think, we have to be living marriage. It's not enough to have the answers. We have to have a practice as well. And... Today, this is a show reaching out mainly to you wives out there, because some of you wives are in your marriages and thinking, you know, this guy is just causing me so much trouble and such. You know, if, if he'd change, we'd be great. Well, today I've got Rhonda Stop on here, and she wrote the book, If My Husband Would Change, I'd Be Happy, and Myths Wives Believe... She's an, ev- she's an evangelist who meets women at the point of their desperation and shows them the way to Christ. <clears throat> I could have listened to Rhonda talk all night, is what audiences say at her No Regrets Woman Conference, where she helps women break free from regrets that hold them back, beginning with a genuine relationship with Christ. As a pastor's wife, author, favorite radio guest, and speaker of more than 30 years' experience, Rhonda's delightfully authentic teaching grounded in sound doctrine helps women discover significance and become more influential than they ever dreamed possible. To learn more about Rhonda's message and to book her for your next women's event, visit her at noregretswoman.com. Rhonda, welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Happy to be with you. Now, if my audience doesn't know much about you, tell us a little bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing. Well, my name is Rhonda Stoppy, and I am the No Regrets Woman because I am passionate about helping women build no regrets lives, about helping women break free from regrets that hold them back and helping couples build a no regrets marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband was a youth pastor for 18 years. He's been a senior pastor for another 18 years. We've been married 36 years. And uh, in those years, we have mentored and been a biblical marriage counselor, biblical premarital counselor to a lot of couples. And we've learned the secrets to building a marriage that you'll have no regrets. Mm. Now, when you're looking at this book, you know, you're writing mainly to the wives to help them with their myths. And, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge a lot of complaints they have of their husbands and such, they could be entirely valid and accurate complaints. But the onus is still on, on the wives that they need to do the change for themselves, right? You know, the, the secret is this. Mm. We all ache 
for a happily ever after love story. And every one of us that as women, we grew up watching the Cinderella princess stories. Mm -hmm. And there's this uh, worldview that it is the prince's job to make the princess live happily ever after. Mm -hmm. So when we grow up, we start looking for the person who's going to, you know, the movie that says you complete me, one of the worst lines of all time. Mm -hmm. Uh, We look for a person to complete us, to make us feel that we are valued and that we are worth something and that we are treasured. And the problem once couples get married and reality sets in and everybody's, you know, real, real stories, uh, <laughs> unfold, mm-hmm. uh, then they realize, wow, I, this guy isn't exactly what I had hoped, or she's not exactly what I had thought she would be in the very first chapter of if my husband would change, I'd be happy. I tell the story of my husband, Steve and I on our honeymoon. Mm-hmm. It's a fun story, but it's one of those that it's like, Oh, I was a real person and we had gone, we took a month and took a, a, we went all over the United States and saw a lot of things I had never seen before. And one of the places that we went was to Yellowstone. And after traveling in a, in a car, eating a lot of fast food, I got really constipated. Mm. And so we were going to hike Yellowstone. And the night before I, Steve told me, take this little pill and you're going to have a nice bowel movement in the morning and you're going to be fine. And I woke up in the morning, nothing happened. So he's like, okay, well, let's just go to Yellowstone and you can take another pill tonight when we come back. So as we went hiking up this mountain, because Steve had this great idea that if we got up to the top of the mountain, we could look down upon, um, old faithful as it would be shooting up into the sky. And that was his dream to see this. So as we're hiking and the medicine starts working and I'd had my morning coffee and all this exercise, my stomach starts making the most atrocious sounds. And I was like, okay, I'm super embarrassed, but I got to tell him. So finally I'm like, dude, I got to hike back down to that bathroom or we're going to have our own old faithful right here. And so Mm. I saw him look at the top of the mountain, look at the vantage point where he was going to be able to see old faithful, look at the bathroom way down there. I know he just wanted to send me on hiking down by myself. Now, we've been married for 36 years. Now, I would be like, dude, I'll meet you at the bottom. Go do your thing. But then I was like, will you walk with me? So it was his better or worse moment and my worst. He took, he stopped and walked down and got me to the bathroom on time. But, you know, they closed the park before we could hike back up to the vantage point that he wanted to see. And we yeah. promised we'd go back one day, and it's been 36 years. We still haven't been back. Mm-hmm. And that's a fun story, but the reality is we all have those moments after we're married that we're like, this person isn't who I had hoped that they would be. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wasn't the wife I had hoped I would be after we were married. I knew I wanted to be his encourager and his cheerleader. And all of a sudden I was finding myself having tiny little resentments because he was, you know, un- unfulfilled expectations. Mm-hmm. So that is really why I wrote, if my husband would change, I'd be happy. And other myths wives believe because mm-hmm. women, men, everyone thinks that my happiness lies in this person. And the truth is God created us to ache, to find our worth and who loves us. He created us to long to be completed in a relationship by someone that treasures us. The problem is we look to a person for that love. And God created us to find that in him, the lover of our soul, our creator. Mm -hmm. And when he created Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden and he came looking for them in the cool of the day to hang out with them, like he did every evening, they were hiding because their sin broke that fellowship with God. And from then on, we have gone the rest of our lives, all of mankind looking to a person 
to help us find our worth, whether it's how much our mother treasured us or our dad was there for us or whether it's the spouse that we marry. But when we realize that's idolatry, putting anything where we think we're going to find our value in how someone treats us or cares about us uh, is really a distorted view of what God says. I loved you so much that I sent my son to purchase you for myself. Uh, That's where we find our true worth and our true value. And then we can let our spouse off the hook to just be the person that we do life together with and we Mm -hmm. love with God's selfless love. And we try, we learn, try to learn to do that, but we don't have to find our value in how they treasure us because we've learned my value is in God. You know, what's the, Oh, what manner of love the father has given unto us that we should be called the sons and the daughters of God. That's true worth, true value. Now that deals a lot with a very first lie about uh, he's not meant to be your happy ever after. The second one that thing we could look at today. I mean, we can't look at all of them today, obviously, but, one about it. Respect means so much to men, and the lie is, oh, I'll give him respect when he earns it. And, you know, one of the things I'm thinking right off is, you know, how many wives like to say, oh, I would uh, like to hear a husband say, oh, I'll give my wife love when she earns it. Right. That's so not allowed, right? It's like women expect to be loved regardless of how I treat you every 28 days when I'm a crazy person. Uh, But men, if they expect to be respected, even if they have not, quote, earned it, wives are like, oh, no, no, that's not how it works. But we have to go back to what the word says. God knew that the deepest longing of a woman was to feel loved And he knew the deepest longing of a husband is to feel respected. That's why he instructs husbands to love your wives and live with them according to knowledge. That means go to school on them, find out what speaks love to your wife. Mm -hmm. And he also calls uh, wives to respect our husbands. There's a story in chapter two that it talks about uh, when, remember when David danced in the streets of Jerusalem? Now, up until that point, he was, you know, first of all, he's this kid playing his harp on the hillside, writing some amazing Mm. worship songs. And then out of the blue, here comes Samuel and anoints him as king. And then from then on, this kid's life gets pretty difficult. I mean, he slays a giant. Yay. Everybody's excited. Then all of a sudden his best friend's father, the king starts hating him, starts wanting to have him killed because he's jealous of him. And for the next 17 years, he's on the run. He is living in this place. A lot of those songs that David wrote during that time, exile is heartbreak. Like, God, do you see this? And he's looking at um, the the wicked are prospering and I'm living in a cave with all these nowhere dwells and God, where are you in this? And I love how almost every one of David's psalms, as he cries out to that, he also comes to the end of that psalm, but saying, but, but, but then I went into the house of the Lord. But then I looked to you. And I think God called David the apple of his eye. One of the reasons was because David poured out his heart to God and said, this stinks. But where else will I go? You are my God, and I will serve you, and I will worship you. And David didn't do and to God anointing his son when he had the opportunity. And I don't know about you, but I would have looked at that opportunity and say, look, God delivered my enemy into my hand. But David had such integrity that he did not even kill this king when anyone looking on might have said, oh, this is God delivering him to you. And so when God finally gave David the throne and he was able to be uh, anointed king and he danced through the streets in Jerusalem, I think it was 17 years of him waiting for this moment. He dances for all his might, and the Bible says he rips himself down to his loincloth, and he dances in the street in front of this huge parade of the whole town. But where is his wife? 
Michael. She's not dancing with him. She's up in a tower watching the whole thing. And then if you continue reading in that in that uh, chapter in Samuel, it says that David took the whole town out to sacrifice and they sacrificed and praised the Lord for this finally blessing him. And then he comes home and the Bible says he comes home to bless his household. His wife wasn't with him when he was making a sacrifice to the Lord. She was at home. And what was she doing? formulating a mar- an argument in her mind. As soon as David walks in the door to, quote, bless his household, she meets him at the door with this well-formulated argument. How glorious was the king today, dancing for all your might in your underwear. That's not becoming of a king. And here's this woman who was raised by Saul. She's a, quote, princess. So she's going to school her husband on what is royal attitude. And here you dressed like that in front of your royal subjects and all the women saw you. And I love David's response because he's like, girlfriend, it was for the Lord that I danced and I will become even more undignified than this. And I love that story because he didn't care what she thought. But the story is also heartbreaking because it says from then on that David and and Michael never had children together. Now, a lot of scholars believe that that's because David never went into her as his wife again. And and other wives, and that's a whole other book to write about why God allowed that. But from that point on, this divide, because of her disrespect, David discarded her, looked the other way, and, and did not. She did not win his heart. So what do we do as wives? We're home all day. We're raising kids. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Maybe you go to work, too. You swing by and grab a pizza on the way home, whatever. Your husband walks in the door. You've already formulated an argument in your head. Dude, you didn't take out the diapers. They stink the house. You haven't mowed the lawn. The neighbors probably think we're so lazy. And you blast him when he walks in the door with this disrespect when Maybe he was coming in to say, hey, I landed that deal at work, or I built that wall, mm-hmm. and we pull the rug right out from under them. And we wonder why our husbands just walk in and go in front of the TV and grab the remote and just watch TV until the, until it's time for dinner, instead of saying, wait a minute, I want to pour respect onto this man, this man that's slaying dragons out there, who's keeping his eyes only for me, who's mm-hmm. working hard to uh, to be that that provider or that husband for me, finding something about him that you can say, I respect this about you. Uh, men crave it. They want to hear that. Yep. yep. Now, I'd like to go to uh, another lie here. Uh, he would love me more if I were prettier. The secret to keeping his attention. Now, for me, my wife, everyone knows, knows she has a weight problem. She gets so scared sometimes of me. I'm thinking, like, like, I'm not blind. I know you're not perfect, but you are the only woman who drives me wild like that. <laughs> and to me, you're the most beautiful woman on earth. And I delight in you. And, and sometimes I have heard, yeah, but you'd rather be of someone prettier. Now, of course, no husband's going to complain if his wife wants to beautify herself even more. But at the same time, there is a great law here, isn't there? Well, and it really is. We live in a culture where outward beauty is mm-hmm. seems to be like such an important thing. And it is. I want to be pretty mm-hmm. for my husband. Uh, in fact, our date time in the morning, he's a pastor, so a lot of times he doesn't come home till midnight. So our mornings over coffee is our time to connect. And I remember one day I went out and I looked in the mirror before I went out and I had like big dark circles under my eyes and I didn't have any foundation on. And I'm like, I wouldn't even go to the grocery store. Like, I still want to at least put on some concealer before I go out and have coffee with this man. Uh, and 
that's just bracing him with my effort. I don't put my full makeup, but I certainly want to at least uh, brush my teeth so when I kiss him, it's not offensive. But what happens in our culture, and there's so many, we could just camp here for such a long time. Uh, external beauty is such a, a priority. Uh, one of the first stories that I tell in chapter five of if, I, if he would love me if I were prettier is of George Mueller. And if you've never read his biography, it's a great story of how God captured his heart. But when he finally, he was a rascal. He was a terrible person until he came to Christ. He started going to a Bible study, and he met this woman. I think her name was Eugenia, but I can't remember for sure. And she was really pretty. And he was going to pursue her and marry her. And one day he goes and he tells her, and she's a, she's a believer, and he tells her, I'm going to be a missionary, and you're going to be at my side. And she's like, dude, no, I'm not. I want you to be a doctor or a lawyer. Let somebody else go over there and be uncomfortable. I want to be pampered. And he has a dilemma. He has to decide, I want this woman. I love this woman. She's pretty. She's beautiful. But I know God's called me to this. So he had to break it off with her. And he decided he was never going to marry. He was just going to pursue whatever God had for him. But then he met Mary Mueller. And in his own words, he said that she had the largest nose of anyone he'd ever met, man or woman. But her beauty that came from her sweet and quiet spirit and her love for God, he, she was irresistible to him. And the entire chapter of if my husband, I mean, I'm sorry, if I, if I were prettier, he would be happier. I'm sorry, I'm losing the name of the title, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. If I were prettier. Um it's talking about this beauty that even we see in Ruth. Remember when Boaz was attracted to Ruth? Her whole story is in there, outlines the beauty of Ruth. And he sees her, you know, caring for her mother-in-law and gleaning for not only herself, but for her mother-in-law, not running off and trying to find some man to provide for her uh, because she could make herself pretty and put herself out there. But she sacrificed for this woman. And Boaz was captivated by the, the beauty and charm of Ruth. And so I think what else we have in our culture, and, and it's sweet that you uh, said that to your wife, how she just drives you wild. But a lot of times women's insecurity comes from the men in our culture who feast their eyes on pornography. Yeah. And sadly, in this culture, it has become an epidemic. And it's not just in the secular community. It's in the Christian community as yep, well. It is. It is. And it's heartbreaking. And there's, um, I wish I could think of the terms, but I can't right now for the scientific term for what happens in the medulla of the brain, that a man actually learns what beautiful is by what he feasts his eyes on. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I do premarital counseling sessions. We talk to the men about what you see as beautiful as you feast on that. It will train your mind to believe that that's beautiful. So if you're not feasting on anything other than your wife, as she yep. puts on a few pounds after she has a couple babies, she will still satisfy you like Solomon, the song of Solomon, because you're feasting on her beauty alone. Uh, I think of our culture back in the 50s, uh, Marilyn Monroe. She was like a, a buxom woman, very, very curvy. Uh, you know, then along in the 60s, along came um, uh, Twiggy and she was skin over bones and all the, the uh, movie, what do they call the, the models started looking like heroin addicts and they were so skinny. And what happened to our culture is what men feasted their eyes on. It trained them to believe that that was beautiful. So sadly, we have a whole generation of men who started to believe that skinny was what had to be pretty. And then women bought into that and starved themselves or feel like they don't measure up. But when you feast on pornography, you know, Satan comes to steal 
steal, kill, and destroy the beauty of the marriage bed that God smiles upon. And in my new book, Real Life Romance, it's just a compilation of amazing love stories. It's not a self-help book. It's kind of like a chicken soup for the soul, but it's 25 love stories. It's redeemed romance. It celebrates God's sovereignty and providence in knitting hearts and lives together in lifelong love. And one of the stories in there is of a couple named Chuck and Angie. And uh, my husband and I knew Chuck and Angie. They were in one of our youth groups when they were kids. They grew up. Both of them were virgins when they got married. They were so excited the day they got married. And after a certain amount of time, uh, Angie started noticing that her husband really wasn't wanting her in the marriage bed like she had expected. And of course, the story goes one day she stumbled upon, upon the computer, the reason that he was not as attracted to her. And she confronted him about the pornographic images. He cried, asked her forgiveness, told her that it was just something that he had looked at when he was a kid, but he could put it away. Well, anyone who knows anything about that kind of addiction knows that what you feed your flesh, your flesh craves. So he couldn't put it away. And as time went on, and as Angie was just devastated by this, she finally said at one point when she came to realize that her resentment and bitterness toward her husband for his addiction was just as sinful and ugly to God as his addiction was when she was able to repent and ask God to forgive her. And then she could pray powerfully for her husband to get victory over his addiction. You know, the Bible says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous one accomplishes much. And that doesn't mean just righteous at that one point in time when we made a covenant with God to be our savior, but walking in righteousness, saying, God created me a clean heart, search Mm -hmm. me heart, try me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. We want to look at our spouse and under a microscope, pick out every single thing that they're not measuring up to our expectations, why they're not, you know, the person we had hoped they would be. But that root of bitterness that we have against them defiles many. And it begins defiling our marriage. It undermines the very fiber of our relationship. It defiles our parenting. Think of this. If I am so resentful toward my spouse for whether he's looking at pornography or he's leaving the toilet seat up in the middle of the night, whatever that thing is that you just can't get past that your husband, you know, if he loved me, he would do X, Y, Z or would not do this or that. If you're holding on to resentment toward him, your prayers are rendered ineffective. As a mom, that means you can't even sit on the mountaintop like Moses did with his arms in the air, interceding for Joshua as he fought the battle and he prayed powerfully. You can't do that if you if you have resentment. Your prayers are hindered. And that's terrifying to me as a mom. I've raised four children, two sons and two daughters. I have nine, actually 10 grandchildren. Uh, and I, I just cannot even imagine not being effective prayer warrior for these babies of, of ours or my children children that God has called to walk through the enemy's camp, keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus. My greatest power in the life of my kids is to be on my knees, interceding for them to love Jesus more than love life itself. I'm not going to trade that for any resentment, for any unconfessed sin. And I don't think we realize because we, we say we justify it. Well, it's justified anger. It's justified unforgiveness because this thing keeps happening. What if your husband is is dealing with pornography? And I know women deal with it too. And women have emotional affairs on the internet with that guy they went to high school with that they found again. But what if you went to your husband and you said, I believe in you. 
I know you're a good man. I know you hate this and it is shameful to you and you hate it as much as I do. And I want you to know I'm here for you and I'm going to forgive you 70 times seven, like Jesus said, and I'm on my face interceding for you. And I'm praying that God will guide you to godly mentors that have walked this path ahead of you to give you victory. And I'm here for you. What if you approached that? Because what happens is wives think I'm going to disrespect my husband and shame him to walking away from that computer screen. But what happens when we shame them, it drives them away from us. And their shame actually drives them to the computer, not to yeah. places mm-hmm. of repentance. Um, I like my win at this point. Uh, we're going for an hour today. You're listening to the Deeper Warriors podcast. Rhonda Stoppy is my guest today. I got it right that time, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, But next week, we're going to have Edward T. Ride on, talking about biographies in Jesus. It's a book he co-edited with Craig Keener. He's going to be our guest next week. And, you know, when you're talking about uh, the beauty and such, I-, I just wish women would realize this. I mean, I can be sitting on our couch reading, for instance, and I get caught up in my books and such, and now I can say, well, I'm going to go take a shower now. My ears perk up immediately at that point. <laughs> Because she's just for loving my life. Mm, yeah. And you know what? It's not, not all men do that. Some men get so caught up in their hobbies or so distracted in other things that they're doing. And when a wife, uh, you know, says, hey, I'm, a, I'm over here. Uh, she's got to light her hair on fire before he even takes notice of her. Yeah. And, you know, the Bible calls husbands to live with their wives according to knowledge. But we're the coach. We get to tell them what speaks romance to us. We get to tell them how they can make us feel more loved. And it changes throughout the seasons of our life. When Steve and I were dating, um, he would drive from work to my house in the summertime. I was in high school, he was working, and he would bring flowers to me. And all he'd have time to do is give me the flowers and head back to work before his lunch hour was over. And I would say, oh, how romantic. And then I, you know, we got married and I started working in corporate America and I would get dressed for work every day and I'd get kudos from, you know, accomplishing something at work. And all of a sudden I had a baby and became a stay at home mom because we had agreed that I was going to stay home with kids. And I felt frumpy and I felt, you know, baby puked down my back and I was in the same yoga pants that I'd had on. And I was really feeling insecure about my looks. I had some weight from the baby. And Steve came home one day and he brought me flowers. And, you know, instead of saying how romantic, I said, oh, how expensive. Because he'd gone to a florist, which you can buy flowers from the grocery store. But he was doing what he'd always done that I'd always told him was romance to me. And in one fell swoop, I told him, you can't afford to romance me anymore. And, you know, step it up, buddy, and figure out what speaks romance to me because that's not. And I saw it all over him. I I crushed Mm. his spirit. So what we get to do in different seasons of our lives as wives is help our husbands understand, okay, that was romantic at that time. But now let's say you're a stay-at-home mom and you've got all these kids and you're trying to get dinner. Maybe you work and you come home. You're trying to get dinner on. You're helping, you know, this kid with homework and that one spilled their milk and you're doing all this stuff. Your husband walks in with some Gerber daisies. And he puts him on the kitchen counter and he's thinking he's going to get lucky tonight. And he gives you a wink and he goes over and he says, I'm just going to get out of her way and I'll watch TV until all this craziness goes away so that she has time for me. And you're thinking, dude, are you serious? I've got to get dinner on. I've got to help that one study for their spelling bee. I've got to clean up that somebody spilled and you're going to go sit there and watch TV. But what we have to do as wives is say the roses or the flowers aren't what speaks romance at that season. What speaks romance is getting here with me. 
make all this crazy go away. I've had my mama hat on all day long. My sexy mama hat is somewhere under the bed. If you make all this craziness go away, help them with their homework, give them a bath or don't, I don't care, just get them to bed. Meet me in the bedroom and I will make it worth your while. That speaks romance to me at this season of my life. Uh, If we don't coach our husbands, they don't know. And if we say it once and then it doesn't happen again, don't give up on them. Don't say, well, I told him once and he doesn't, you know, you don't know. I'm not going to tell you. It's continually coming back and saying, hey, I need this from you. Uh, I'm 56 years old now. When I hit my 40s, I remember going through menopause and I'm like, dude, I feel like I need to hear that you think I'm pretty and I've put on some weight since menopause and I'm just really feeling insecure about my looks. And Steve would say, you know, jokingly, I told you you were pretty when I married you. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. Ha ha ha. I'm like, that was funny a decade ago. Now it's not funny. Now I'm seriously needing to hear it. And I would tell him, and then he would say it was pretty, but then he wouldn't say it when I, you know, lighting my hair on fire, look at all the makeup I have on, look how, and he would just, off we go to whatever we're doing, and I would have to say, hey, do you think I'm pretty? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I really do. Now I had a choice to make. I can either go, fine, I had to make you say it, or I can say, you know what? He needs me to remind him. And that's, I'm, God made me to be his helper. And I get to also help him to know how to romance me. So it's really covering with grace what we hope they will cover with grace in us when we don't measure up to their expectations. You know, when you're talking about the whole thing with uh, how to romance, and it gets us into the next chapter, which was a chapter you, you won't be surprised. I was very excited to get to. Which uh, it speaks to romance women. All he wants is sex when you long for romance. Now, you got this quote in here in paragraph. So, why are wives so resistant to minister to their husband's need for sex? The most common reason is selfishness, plain and simple. Because of our sin nature, a basic problem all people have is a preoccupation of self. In short, every sin results in this preoccupation. Yes, I just implied that not having sex with your husband is a sin, is a sin that stems from selfishness. So, uh, Rhonda, have you been nominated for sainthood yet? <laughs> well, not by the women. <laughs> the men are lining up here to nominate you, okay? I gotta tell you. Um, I just wrote an article for, uh, oh, I don't even remember what it was for, but it was talking about, I did a lot of homeschool conventions, mm-hmm. and the article starts off telling a story of this woman that came up to me at a homeschool convention and said, you know what, at this season of our life, my husband understands my life is all about homeschooling the kids, so we don't really uh, have sex, but they, we know it's season and we're going to come back. And I tried to explain to her that the Bible says, you know, it warns us to only be apart for a season because if you aren't, you're going to give place to the devil. Mm. And this woman assured me that they could handle it. I don't know. I've been in, in ministry for 36 years. I know what the enemy's foothold can do in a relationship. And what we have to realize is this. Um, the Bible calls us to be kind one to another. And honestly, a kindness that a wife can show to her husband is to realize that most men struggle with feelings of inadequacy and loneliness. And when their wife pursues them in the marriage bed, it fulfills them. It gives them the sense of satisfaction and self-worth that they really are better at the office the next day at work. Yeah. And I'm not talking about, oh, it's Tuesday. Let's do that thing we do. 
I'm talking about pursuing your husband, throwing in a text in the middle of the day, you know, flirtatious things, what what, what we're going to do tonight. When we, be careful because your 14-year-old might pick up your phone, and that's happened to me, so you got to be careful. <laughs> but really uh, pursuing him in a way that he knows she wants me. And what I like to help wives try to understand is God, wives make our husbands be apologetic for wanting to have sex with us. Yeah. And God created us as women, most of us, to connect with our husbands through touch, through kindness, through conversation. Your husband walks through the door at the end of the day, and I can remember Steve was out taking people to lunch, and I was at home in my sweatpants, and he'd come in, and I'd be like, how is it out there? And, you know, what did you eat for lunch? I ate the crust off the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and, you know, what are they wearing out there now? This was before they had internet, so you really were isolated as a stay-at-home mom. It's like you had a phone that you could talk to a friend, but that was about it. And so if Steve were to walk in the door at the end of the day and say, you know what? I've used all my words. I'm tired. I don't want to talk to you right now. It's not that I don't like you. I'm just, I don't want to listen and I don't want to talk. I just want to watch TV. Can you stop talking? Wow. Would I feel rejected? I would feel unloved. I would feel lonely. And I would likely start looking for somewhere else to get my emotional need for conversation filled. And sadly, when that happens, a lot of women turn to their children. We don't have time to talk about it. I have a book out called Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. And there's this something called emotional incest. And if we're not careful, we can transfer those needs of emotional connection with our spouse to one of our kids if our husband doesn't give it to us. And be careful if you're a single mom because you can really ruin your kids if you look to them to fill that emotional need as well but it also happens in marriages and it, sadly it happens a lot in homeschool families because we're with your kids so much and I homeschooled I get it I, I'm just saying be wise your husband is the one that needs to fill that emotional need but if the day goes on and it, two weeks of him not talking to you you would feel rejected and alone well in the same way that God made you to long to connect emotionally with your husband in that way of conversation and and just sharing your heart in the same way, God created your husband to long to connect you with you in the marriage bed. Our husband does not like us, and we try to assign to them their emotional need that they just need conversation from us or encouraging words. But God made them mm-hmm. to long to connect with us in the marriage bed. But what do wives say? I have been touched all day. I have nursed children. I have been hung on. I have no desire to have you touch me. And that goes on for two weeks and they're supposed to suck it up and get over it. They're supposed to understand that. And they're apologetic when they want to connect with their wife in the marriage bed. But what we have to realize is us rejecting them in that way feels to them the same way that if your husband didn't talk to you for you for two weeks, how that would feel to you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Uh, One of my, I'm a game show junkie. One of my (laughs) favorite clips comes from Steve Harvey's Family Feud, where he has up there the two contestants for a buzzing question, and I can send you this clip after a show, but he says, we asked one of Mary members' question, fill in the blank, I would blank for sex. And one guy just rings in immediately, just says, pay. And it's number (laughs) one up there. And Steve goes, that is a sad, sad statement about married men. Mm -hmm. And it's so completely true. (laughs) And they keep going down through this. The women on the show miss the question entirely. The guys give the next answer, lie, beg, kill, die. And I'm saying, yep. Yep, all of those. Mm-hmm, definitely. 
And there's also a quote in that chapter that talks about, um, I quoted, uh, Shanti Felden has a really good book out. It's called For Women Only. And it's, she's a social researcher. In fact, she wrote an endorsement for If My Husband Would Change, I'd Be Happy. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that she did is she took like a thousand men and let them say whatever they wanted in a survey. And one man said a couple of things that stand out to me. One, he said that when his wife was not interested in sex with him, that it felt like a treasure lost, that it was something he had longed for. And because she had rejected him in the marriage bed, it led him to feel resentment and even anger toward her. Another man said, I would rather, let's see, trim the bushes in the icy rain than have a wife give me sex because it's just her duty. So it's not just about saying, okay, I guess that's what we should do. But it's saying, I want you and I am going to be here to pursue you. And one of the quotes from my husband, Steve is awesome. I love this guy. And he wrote at the end of each chapter from a husband's perspective. So as a husband, as a, as a biblical counselor, as a pastor, He shares things from his own insights. And in that section, he says, from my experience, uh, men whose wives pursue them sexually are deeply in love with their wives. Oh, yes. I'm here to say, I don't think your husband cares if you're a good cook. I don't think he cares if the house is spotless. I mean, I know we got clean freaks out there, but honestly, if my husband would be like, I would rather you not vacuum and wear your shot and save your energy for me when I get home. Uh, men are deeply in love with their wives when they per- are pursued in the marriage bed by their wife. Testify. Oh, and let me say, I meet a lot of women that are like, I get it, but I'm just not that into sex. I just don't like it. And in if my husband would change, I'd be happy. Instead of talking about how to enjoy sex in marriage in that chapter, I wrote an ebook. It's a companion that goes along with that. And you can find this ebook on noregretswoman.com, that's my website, or you can go to Amazon and just look up Rhonda Stoppy. All my books will come up there. And the name of the book is A Christian Woman's Guide to Great Sex in Marriage. It's a very short ebook that just talks about some of the things that women deal with and why they uh, aren't enjoying the marriage bed like they could. And it gives them, just really coaches them and guides them to uh, enjoy the marriage bed. Yeah. Whenever I laugh, I think I'd like to hear you deal with on this one also. It's a common one that says that well, if my husband thinks like that, if all he's just wanting is just sex and see me naked and such, he's a pervert. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, again, we have to understand how God made them. And if God made them, why make them apologize for us? And, you know, uh, raise a son. <laughs> It's junior high, and you realize how often a young man's mind goes towards a sexual thought. God made men that way. Uh, and the only, you know, I tell when we do premarital counseling with couples, God made your husband to long for satisfaction in the marriage bed. All of his fantasies and dreams about what he wants to have uh, sexually satisfied within the marriage bed that honors Christ can be fulfilled in you and you alone. You are God's gift to him to fulfill this longing that God gave him. And that can be filled with no shame, no fear of consequence. It is not sinful. God smile on the marriage bed. You are God's gift to him to satisfy a longing that God gave him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's keep going through the book. And some of the things you say in here also is that uh, about how you talk about your husband. I know Shanti Ferdon has written some about this, that uh, women gossip way too much 
about their husbands. And unfortunately, it keeps other women saying negative things about their husbands. And a man's very careful about his reputation. He really hates it if his wife belittles him in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think honoring our husband with our words is so important. And, you know, the Proverbs 31 woman talks about that her husband is known in the gates. She holds his reputation very dear. And she honors him with her words. She speaks highly of him. Well, the only way you're going to speak highly of someone is if you're thinking highly of them. Mm -hmm. And staying in love is all in your mind. The way you fell in love with your spouse is you thought on everything amazing about them. And everything you talked about was this amazing guy, this amazing woman that you met and you go on and on. And then when we get married, it's a battle to stay focused on those good things. And Philippians chapter four is an amazing uh, formula. You know, Paul, he says, first of all, he addresses these two women that are kind of at odds with each other. And he says, you know, you, my true companion, help these women who labored alongside of me. And here they're, they're having this uh, conflict. And then right away he goes into be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, let requests be made known to God. And then the peace that surpasses all understanding rules in your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. When we're in conflict with our spouse, uh, even though we maybe serve in our church and we have, you know, fellowshiped with others that have shared the gospel, and that's what we want to do with our lives is to let our light shine so that others will want to know Christ. And guess what? That begins in our home. Uh, in 18 years of youth ministry, the number one thing that drives kids away from the Lord, away from the church, is hypocrisy in their Christian home. And it begins by the way they see mom and dad treat each other. If they both say they love Christ, but they don't love one another with his selfless love, the kids see that. And so the Philippians chapter four says, think on whatever is good, right, honorable, praiseworthy, whatever is commendable, whatever is worthy of praise, think on these things. If we are disciplining ourselves to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, to say, God, at, with your help, I choose to think the best about my husband, just like I want him to think the best about me. I will not assign wrong motives to his action. I will give him the benefit of the doubt. I will forgive him 70 times seven when he doesn't measure up to my expectations. And now you're saying, but he won't do that for me. And let me tell you this, if you're listening, let it begin with you. Mm-hmm. You cannot do anything about your spouse, but you before the Lord can walk in obedience to what he's asked you to. And then you can pray powerfully for him to change your husband. And then when you're thinking on what's right, you will speak what is right. And when you undermine your husband to your kids or to anyone else, your husband feels disrespected, dishonored. Uh, and if, let me just tell you this. If you pour into your children disrespect for their father because you're pointing out constantly, oh, he can't put his socks in the hamper. Oh, you think he could wash a dish once in a while. Oh, he didn't put gas in the car. All those undermining things that you're telling your children about their father, you're saying, you don't need to honor this man. And what happens is when our kids hit junior high and they start pushing mom away, especially sons do that. My book, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, talks about how sons, they, they, they start craving that relationship with their father and they push mom away as their kind of coming of man ritual. But when they're pushing mom away and they're starting to conflict with mom and you say, wait till your father gets home. If you've been telling them for a decade that their dad's a moron, you've built in them zero respect for this man that now you wish that they would be concerned about what's going to happen when dad gets home by the way that they're treating you. Uh, And our kids will never be more secure than when they see that mom and dad are in love with each other. If you, you know, there's parents that will do whatever it takes so that their kids can do well 
in life. I have a son that's a fighter pilot in the Air Force. He's a lieutenant colonel. Uh, I have a son that's a worship leader that has toured with some amazing Christian bands, and now he leads worship in um, Southern California. I have a daughter who is a teacher, and she's married to a man that went to seminary at the Master's College, and they graduated from Master's. And my youngest daughter graduated from the Master's College, and she's married to the college pastor of our church. I have these amazing children that I can go, wow. But I know that if it was up to me, if I would have gone the way that I had been raised, the woman that I would have been, I would have driven my kids away from their father and away from Christ by undermining their dad. And that would have done, it would have just wreaked havoc on them. But because an older woman in my life, a godly mentor, several of them stepped into my life and taught me from their successes and their failures, I learned the kind of wife I wanted to be, the kind of mom I wanted to be. And that's really why I write the books that I write. Titus 2 calls the older women to teach the younger Imagine if you had an older friend that just hung out with you and talked to you about how to be the wife you'd hoped you'd be, how to guide your kids towards a no regrets life, how to teach your younger kids about real life romance. These stories, you can read them to your teens and tweens. They are so Christ honoring. Uh, And I just write the way that I talk because I I meet women all the time. I speak at mops and women's events and I'm speaking at a pastor's wife's conference coming up and women are like, oh, I'm not a reader. And I'm like, okay, you're a reader. You read Facebook all day long. So we've established that you will read. I just have to write write something that is an interactive, feel like you're hanging out with a friend, so you will read it. And that's really uh, how my books come across. I think you probably have read it and feel that sense. You feel like you're hanging out with me over a cup of coffee. Find podcasts, videos, articles, and more at deeperwatersapologetics.com. I like to mind when you're listening to a Deeper Waters podcast now and Everything we do here is listener supported by people like you. And we could really use that support. If you want to help us out, please go to deeperwatersapologetics.com. There's a link on the side. Help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. Where you click there and you get taken to Risen Jesus. You've gone to the right place. Those are my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. You make a donation and you get in touch with Mike or Debbie or me or Allie and say, Hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. We will get your donation. It will be tax deductible. You can also buy ebooks I have written, such as a Creed for the Ages, the Apostles' Creed and Today's Christian, or co-written, like Defying Inerrancy, God and Natural Disasters, Groundless, etc. But there's another way you can help us, and that's by buying jewelry from a jewelry store outside. We have someone who works for Premier Jewelers who's offered to sell jewelry on our behalf. And guys, let me tell you something here. You were just talking about ways to romance wives and such. I think Rhonda could testify jewelry is usually a pretty good way to do that romance. And they would love to get some jewelry from you. And you go, you make a purchase, and 25% of what you purchase goes support Deeper Waters. And guys, you know what I'm saying to you here. You can buy something special at Lady in Your Life to make up that big screw-up that you just did with her. Or you can buy something special at Lady in Your Life to make up that big screw-up that I know you're going to make with her. Now, if you can't do any of these, please go in on iTunes and leave a review of a Deeper Waters podcast. I love to see it. Aranda, do you have an organization you'd like to see people donate to? Actually, I think they should just donate back to Deeper Waters. I think that's a great place to direct them. Thank you very much for that. Now, 
I, I'm thinking today also that we, I was out traveling today, and my wife was visiting her mother, and don't behold, I had a flat tire. And so I have to have a tow truck come and take me to the repair shop, and on the way, some remark is made with a guy driving towards me about his fiance, and I asked him if he's going to get married soon, and says he's not in a rush, which really surprises me, but I have my suspicions there. And I say, well, I don't understand. I I was in a rush when my time came along, and I've been married for, well, we're working on eight years right now. He says, well, you don't really hear about long marriages like that anymore. And it's so sad today that you that there could be some truth that, that some about seven or eight years is seen as a long marriage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, something I told him, maybe like, come out of this, I said, look, you get married, marriage is like a garden, and you have to cultivate it regularly, water it, and do your part to make it grow. And if you don't, it will not grow. It will not blossom. Exactly. And, you know, the the thing is this. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And he said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Uh, God said in Isaiah, I have created you for my glory. And that word glory means to represent his character. God wants us to love our spouse in a way that shines so brightly in this wicked and perverse generation that it is a moth to the flame for people that are longing for answers. When people's marriages start coming unraveled around them, they're willing to listen. In all of my books, I'm an evangelist at heart. In fact, if you go to my website, noregretswoman.com, my homepage, I was interviewed by Dr. James Dobson. I also was interviewed, Steve and I, uh, and it'll air in August on Focus on the Family. But when I was interviewed by Dr. Dobson, I also got to do their morning devotions for their staff. And I talked about sharing the gospel. That's my sweet spot. In all of my books, at the back of the book, it has how to have a relationship with Jesus. If you meet somebody whose marriage is in trouble, give them a copy of If My Husband Would Change, I'd Be Happy. Steve and I have repackaged this book and it's going to come out in June and it's called The Marriage Mentor and it's a couple's book because so many women that read If My Husband said, we read the part to my husband from Steve's perspective and we want a couple's version of this book. So it's called The Marriage Mentor. It's actually available on uh, Amazon now for pre-order, but it will come out in June. Uh, And also it's just a great resource for somebody's marriage that's coming unraveled to say, you know, what we want to do is fix Uh, what we think is the problem in their marriage, but the real genuine problem is they need to find their worth in their relationship with their creator through repentance and a genuine covenant relationship with Christ. A lot of people think that they're saved, think that they're Christians, call themselves Christians. Jesus said, many will say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. We have to be willing to, to tell the gospel in a way that says God wants you to forsake all to follow him. And when we're living in this relationship with God, and Jesus, remember in Mark chapter 12, said that the priority of life, protos, is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's your whole being. And he said, that's the priority of your life, not to just be a good person that does good things, goes to church, raises good kids, you know, has everybody just, you know, fill in the blank, whatever you think a perfect family looks like. Mm -hmm. No, God says you forsake all to fall head over heels in love with me. 
Mm-hmm. And as you, through the washing of the water of the word, through finding God's character, as he reveals it through his names in, in scripture, through the, the accounts in scripture that reveal his character, as you learn to trust him and fall in love with him with all of your being, then the second commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself, becomes not burdensome. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As I'm loving God with all of my being, and it'll take the rest of my life to pursue and to keep doing that, and even asking God, I know I will love you selfishly. You say, I have not because I ask not. I'm asking you, God, to give me your love for you so that I love you the way you're asking me to. And then what spills out is this selfless agape love for our spouse. And the greatest evangelistic tool that we have in this generation to our children and the watching world is a love for each other that's grounded in this selfless uh, Christ uh, honoring selfless love that shines brightly and God can use that to draw people to know our Savior. You know, Rhonda, I'm not sure if I mentioned this when we were t- communicating and arranging a show and such, but my wife and I do have a very unusual marriage. We both have Asperger's. We're on the autism spectrum. Yep. And something also is that uh, I'm a nerd, which shouldn't be a shock. And so, like many other nerds, it's kind of like when you get married, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. There's actually a woman who wants to be with me and such. But I've, I've found that, you know, being married has become such a huge priority to me. I mean, we're friends on Facebook. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but every day except for Sunday when I'm now on Facebook, I post some marriage meme and I post a message of love to my wife every single day and i've found that you know in the past and it's still is through date getting compliments on intellect apologetics ability bible knowledge and things like that that's nice but for me from my testimony award one of the greatest compliments i can ever get from people is gosh you really do love your wife don't you and that that's something i just want people to always know like yes i love my wife because to me that is a a testament to the world. I mean, I even have a, a men's group on Facebook for for those of us who are men who are married or even just seeking to be married so we can learn to love our wives as Christ loved the church because the marriage we put forward to the world, it's supposed to reflect Christ in the church and that's a huge calling. Yes. And, you know, the thing is, we can get intimidated by that. And honestly, there's women that are listening to you right now going, well, I wish my husband would post something nice about me every day. And again, we can't move into that place of unmet expectations. And then because someone else's husband does it, now we're holding our husband hostage in our minds because he's not measuring up. And so what do we do? We hint about it. Well, this guy, Nick Peters, he posts something nice about his wife every day. And your husband's like, yay for Nick Peters. That's not my thing. Uh, My husband, I adore him, but he is not a uh, romantic when it comes to words. We wrote our wedding vows, which that was huge. And they hang on the wall of our house everywhere that we've lived for the past 36 years. But this is all snuggle up next to Steve in bed at night. And, and I challenge wives instead of just saying, I love you or husbands do this too. say, I'm in love with you. We say, I love you to the dog, which I have a 200 pound mastiff. Mm-hmm. And I say, I love you to him. But climbing in bed next to your spouse and saying, I am in love with you. And then I'll say Steve to Steve, thanks for marrying me. And he'll say, thanks for showing up. <laughs> I love that because that's my husband. And I love that his little, his little kind of playful banter with me, he really, really adores me. But he's not going to write a little thing on, on Facebook every day that says yeah. how much he 
say he's not going to do it. Yeah. So rather than torturing him or trying to hint him to become someone he's not, mm-hmm. uh, we just have to love them for who they are and, and really just and celebrate them. Uh, I love your story and I love knowing that you're a nerd and mm-hmm. you know, it's fun when God finally gives you someone, but if you're listening and you're not married and you're thinking, Oh, it'll never happen for me. My book, real life romance is such a fun story of I'm not story. I'm sorry. It's, it's separate accounts. Like you can pick it up anywhere and just read one. They all stand alone. So it's not like you have to feel like, Oh, I got to read this whole book. Uh, It's just a great table book. Uh, But one of the stories that I tell in there, my son, Tony, when he was in at A&M University and he was in the ROTC before he went into the Air Force, he was the head of his unit. And as he would run in the unit, all the guys would go across the finish line. But there was one girl who kept them uh, lagged behind and they would not get their time counted for until she came across the finish line. So he decided that he would fall back, keep his hand in the small of her back and run with her, keeping their eyes on the finish line together. And he said as long as his hand was in the small of her back. They would finish on time with the unit. When he took his hand away, she would fall behind. So in our uh, pursuit looking for our spouse, I always tell women, you run that race. Don't look around for who's Mr. Right. You keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author, finish your faith, kick aside whatever easily besets you. Run the race he has for you. And if one day there's a man's hand in the small of your back helping you run that race, you marry that guy. Mm-hmm. that's the husband's job boy you get your hand in the small of her back and you help her run her race uh that's what god's called us to to be with each other in this this fight against uh everything that wants to pull us away from each other to love christ so much that it spills over into our marriages into our children and into the world did he marry her no he did not and everyone asked me that <laughs> And his love story, actually, all three of my kids, all four of my kids' love stories are in the back of the book, mine and Steve's at the beginning. And if you go to my website, noregretswoman.com, and you click on the books, Real Life Romance, and you scroll down, there's actually videos of many of the couples in the book telling their love story. And mine and Steve's, I think, is the first one on there. It's super fun. Well, the book is, uh, if my husband would change, I'd be happy. And other myths, wives believe. The paperback is seven sixty eight right now on Amazon. The Kindle is $9.99, and I know you just gave it. You've said it a few times before, but I'm going to ask the question again. Do you have a blog, an email, a website where people can get in touch if they want to find out more? Yes. If you go to noregretswoman.com, all of my uh, tabs for my social media are there. I'm on a lot of radio. I post the radio links to the different interviews that I'm on, the magazine articles that I write. Just wrote one for Crosswalk about Billy Graham, 10 Things You Didn't Know About Billy Graham. It's a super fun article. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can sign up for my newsletter there and I don't send it out very often cause I know you don't read them. So I just, when I send it out, it's cause I have a new book out or something super exciting I want to share with, with people. Mm-hmm. And do you have any final message you'd like to leave today for the deeper waters audience? Yes. Thank you so much for letting me just share my heart. My mm-hmm. passion is to help you build a no regrets marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a story in real life romance and also in if my husband of my friend Vi and they were married 45 years when her husband came down with cancer. And on the last day of her husband's life, he said, am I dying? And Vi said, yes, Kurt, you're dying. And then she mustered up her joy and she said, but you're going to see Jesus today. What's the first thing you want to tell him when you see him today? And she said, Kurt smiled, closed his eyes, then looked at her and said, I'm going to thank him for giving me you. And that's a no regrets marriage. And that's my heart to help you build a marriage that when you're at the end of your life, 45, 50 years down the road, you can look and say, I have no regrets. I loved this spouse with God's love as he gave me the strength to do it. And I have no regrets. 
And I'd like to encourage everyone, please give a book and read it. It is a great book. And I'm so thankful, Rhonda, you were willing to come on my show and talk about it. And I do hope we'll see you back here again sometime. My pleasure. It was very enjoyable. Thank you for inviting me. I'd like to let everyone know again that next week we're going to have Edward T. Wright on talking about his book, Biographies in Jesus. What difference does it make about the Gospels or Greco-Roman biographies? For now, I'm Nick Peters, and I'm signing off.